If you would please be opening up to Revelation chapter 10. As we have been the past couple of weeks looking at Revelation, it's been, for me, I don't know if you share this, but, uh, and I know I'm in, a, in a, a particular and unique way in order to preach through it, but chapters 8 and 9 with the trumpets, it's serious stuff. And it, it feels different. It's weighty. And I, I feel that. When we think about last week when we considered the seriousness of God's judgment on evil, um, it should have, it should make us kind of, wow, this is serious. And we might be finding ourselves asking the question, why? Why does God's judgment have to be so serious? Why does it have to come with so much destruction? Why so much torment? In community group on Thursday night, we were asking that. And, and look, if it's, if it's up to us, and this is part of just the wisdom of God that we, have to, we know enough of to trust, but we quite don't understand fully why God just doesn't save everybody. Because that's how we would have written it, right? Man, God, just, just save everybody. But there's a uniqueness about how God displays his glory in when he stands for his justice, <clears throat> when he stands for his holiness, he's glorified in ways that are different than the glory that he receives through salvation. And that's just what we see. But it affects us. And it should affect us deeply. But this chapter, chapter 10, I believe shows us how to respond to the images that we've seen with the trumpets and the woes of the fifth and sixth trumpets. Uh, when we think about the seriousness of God's judgment on sin and sinners, listen, church, we are to be reminded of our mission to shine with God's love so others will repent and be delivered and saved from his judgment. That's, that, as we discussed it Thursday night, that's where we had to conclude. It's like, all right, if we see this, it affects us, but yet, oh, what's our response? Well, we need to tell other people about Jesus. And I, I hope that this would, would quicken us. I've been challenged this week just in the, the quickening of God. There's an urgency that's associated with the, the revelation of Jesus in this letter that, to given to the church as an urgency about our lives. And I think so often we just get distracted <clears throat> or we, we get the wrong kind of comfortable. We're comfortable in the things that we can see and manage in our lives, whether that's financial security or just peace and quiet. We get more comfortable with those things and lose sight of the eternal comfort that we're to have because this is not our home. We have a home awaiting us. So this is, this chapter for us, I believe it's to be a comfort for God's people, but it's also a reminder of our mission. Let's look together at God's word in Revelation 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs were like pillars of fire. 
he had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in... In the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your, your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Lord, as Sean prayed as well. We ask that you would, uh, one, give us the Spirit's illumination, but give us hearts to receive what you have for us, Lord, to, to recognize that this is not something just far off that doesn't have impact for our daily lives. God, this is your word alive for us to experience, to live out. And I pray that would be the fruit of the ears of faith you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we looked at the seals that were open, Jesus opened the seals. He broke those seals on the scroll. When we got between the sixth and seventh seals, there was a pause. And it happened to be chapter 7 was that pause. And it was the uh, 144,000 that were spared. And the, the John looking at the great multitude that couldn't be numbered. And all the promises of heaven were being realized as that seal was broken. There was a pause there to give encouragement to the people of God amidst the world and the chaos of the world that, that is going to happen at the end of the world. Now here, with the trumpets, there's another pause. In between the sixth and seventh trumpet, there's a pause. And it's a reminder for the people of God that, hey, remember who you are. Remember what you're doing, what God has called you to. The pause between the sixth and seventh seals was to remind the redeemed of the promise of their inheritance in heaven. And now this pause between the sixth and seventh trumpets is to remind the redeemed of their mission of gospel proclamation. That's us. But what God is doing when we read about the chaos of the world that's coming uh, as the end of the world approaches, God's giving comfort to his people amid that chaos. And really the chaos is literally all hell breaking loose. Satan's given a key by Jesus to the bottomless pit and the smoke comes up and the demons fly out as locusts. But this is God's pattern. He comforts his people... Right when he says bad news is happening. 
We see this in Isaiah 40. God's prophesying um, to Hezekiah because Hezekiah was uh, schmoozing the envoys from Babylon. Eventually, that would be Nebuchadnezzar's people. He's trying, Hezekiah is trying to have a partnership with Babylon to fight against Egypt. Rather than trusting God, Hezekiah is like, hey, let's just, just look at all my stuff. This is what I got. Maybe there's a partnership ahead of us. God said, you didn't trust me. So one day, Babylon's going to come and take all this stuff. Everything that you showed, the, the envoy, the representatives from Babylon, they're going to take it all. But this is right after that. That was chapter 39. Here's chapter 40 of Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There's calamity that's happening because of God judging, and he's judging his people's faithlessness. That's our sin. Because of our pride, we trust ourselves rather than God. And God brings that. Now, this is to his people, but look what he's doing. Comfort. Comfort, my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God comforts his people in the midst of the judgment that he is unfolding in the earth. So here's our response. Our response to the foretaste of God's judgment and his coming final judgment should be an urgency with our gospel proclamation. So there should be an urgency about us as we consider this pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet at the, we'll look at the next week at the end of chapter 11, that's heaven coming. God's kingdom on earth, it's established, uh, sorry, in heaven, comes on earth, everything is done. So in between, God's saying, before we get that inheritance, make sure we're reminded of our mission today. A mission of gospel proclamation. In verse 1, we see a picture, really, I believe, of God delivering his people. We have another mighty angel that we are introduced to. Now, I, I thought for sure for three days this week that this mighty angel was Jesus. I thought, so this is Jesus. Look, look at the coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, rainbow. This is all from chapter 4 and 5. This is what he's doing. And he's chapter 1, he's revealing himself to John. This is Jesus. But then I started thinking about it a little more, and I was like, maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe it's another mighty angel. I say that so we realize we don't have all the answers to this. And it could be either, we just don't know. But what's being revealed is what we should be paying attention to. I do think this is another angel. This possibly could be Michael, the archangel, the member that came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. But angels are sent by Jesus to do the commissioning work of Jesus. But this throne room that Jesus is commissioning the angels from is about delivering his people. And the delivering his people with the seventh trumpet blast that will, that will be coming. And I do think that seventh trumpet blast is what we read in the New Testament, that Jesus will return with a trumpet, with a, the sound of a trumpet that will go out. Uh, I, I personally think that's going to be Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. It's the last God-ordained festival in the Old Testament that is yet to be fulfilled. 
Everything else Jesus fulfilled, especially with Passover and with his death, going to the cross. Rosh Hashanah, I think at the Feast of Trumpets, when they blast, we'll hear it and we'll see Jesus in the east riding on that white horse. What a day it'll be. What a day it'll be. If, we, if, we, if it happens in our lifetime, wonderful. If it doesn't, Lord, save, save everybody. Rosh Hashanah is around September every year, so sometime in September, so be on the lookout. <laughs> there you have it. You have until September, and I'm teasing. <laughs> no, but that should have, like, a bit of an urgency to it. Like, wait a minute. What if it is this September? Well, how would we live differently? What would we, what would we do? Would we try to knock out our bucket list? Or we would go to everybody that we love so dearly on this planet and explain the gospel to them. Maybe there's a little bit of both in that. I don't know. But here, this angel came from heaven to comfort God's people as the demons are unleashed from the bottomless pit. And I think what we see with... He's, he's coming from Jesus because he's bearing the resemblance of how Jesus is described in chapter 5. He's got... He, he's wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head. Remember, there's a rainbow around the throne that Jesus occupies. And his face is like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. I, he's from Jesus. But this is what I think is unique about all of these. I think unique is the, the Old Testament reference for all of them. Wrapped in a cloud. Think of Mount Sinai being wrapped in smoke as God met with his people there. What was that a fruition? It was the, the culmination of God saying, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt and you will worship me on this mountain, he told Moses. And Moses said, we need to go three days journey because there's a particular place that God wants to meet his people. So we're going to that place. That's the wrapped in the cloud. God brings his people to himself. The rainbow over his head. Think of Noah. God delivers Noah and his family amidst the judgment waters that were all over the earth. He delivers his people. He brings them to himself. He preserves his work in them. A face shining like the sun. Should, we should be thinking of Jesus' transfiguration. New Testament reference there, sorry. We just look at Scripture to interpret Scripture. Scripture is its best interpreter. But think of when he's transfigured. His, his face becomes bright white and his body, the glory that he, I believe, exists in before he came to the earth and now just is allowed to shine through. His face becomes radiant white. And it had the effect on his clothes becoming white. What happened there? It wasn't just to, to teach... Peter, James, and John, hey, this really is Jesus. That was part of it. But remember who was talking with him? Moses and Elijah. What was God telling Moses and Elijah and all of Israel? The promises that he made to Moses and Elijah were fulfilled at that moment. God brought Moses into the promised land in that moment because the Mount of Transfiguration was in the promised land. Moses died in Moab before they went over. Because of his own pride and taking, uh, taking glory for himself away from God. Moses, he gets into the promised land. God fulfills his promise to Moses and God's people. But, but Elijah, what was Elijah looking for? Elijah was looking for a people that just loved God with everything they were. And quit limping between two different opinions about who they thought God was. Elijah wanted revival. 
And he never saw it in his lifetime. Remember, the, the only promise he had was God saying, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal yet. That's it? 7,000? That's it? Elijah thought he was the only one. God's telling Elijah, I'm working my plan. Trust me. But when he stands with Jesus and he talks about, they're talking about the death that Jesus would die. It's all coming together for Moses and Elijah. And it's all coming together for the people of God. God brought his people to his presence to be where he is. And then the legs of the pillars of fire, we see the Old Testament God guiding Israel through the wilderness experience by what? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And it never left them. For 40 years it was with them in the desert. God delivers his people. So this mighty angel is coming to tell John, to tell the church, even hell breaking loose will not stop God from accomplishing his purpose for his people. He will bring his people to his presence. What comfort that is, huh? What comfort it is for us. We need a Sam amen right there. Because that is, he, he protects us, church. He protects his people and he brings us to himself. He brings his people through the fulfillment, into the fulfillment of his promise. He is communicating just like when he led Israel in the wilderness. He's communicating to them, I'm leading you to the promised land. But what is he telling us today as his church? I'm leading you into heaven. I'm leading you into the new heaven and the new earth that you will occupy as heirs of Jesus and, and co-heirs with him to rule and reign with him on that place. He's delivering his people, church. He's delivering us. And he's going to bring us through. But then in verses 2 through 7, I think we see some contours to God's plan. One is ultimate authority. Verse 2, we have, This mighty angel has a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. What is being said is he's, he's got ultimate authority. He stands on it all. Now, the, the little scroll, I think, it's open because what has been decreed will be done. The angel's feet straddling land and sea is, is a picture of straddling creation. See, what appears to be unsure footing, you know, your right foot on the land, you're going to be a little more uh, steady than the right foot on the sea. What appears to be unsure footing is very solid ground with God. That's why Jesus can walk on the waters. Because what appears for us very unsure with God, very sure, very solid. And we have a loud voice. This, this angel speaks with a loud voice, a roaring lion. He is quickening. Remember, think, think of a lion roaring. That gets our attention. It gets everything's attention, right? And either you're going... A lion in the African jungle or savannah... Uh, king he roars everything either hides gets prepared like we am i getting ready to be his dinner i gotta pay attention so this roaring of the angel is to get the attention of whom the church god's people he's delivering you and he roars now we we don't cower in that because we know we're saved through christ's death for us but we don't have to fear the the roar of his judgment but it's a quickening roar wait wait Am I doing what matters? Am I doing what, what needs to happen? Am I, am I preparing right now? 
And then we have, we're introduced to seven thunders. And this is interesting. As he's, he sees this, uh, when the seven thunders had sounded, John's about to write, but then he hears a voice saying, seal up the seven thunders, do not write it down. We don't know what this means. Could it mean the seven thunders are another cycle? Like the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls? Could it be another cycle that God just doesn't let us know about? Perhaps we see in the Old Testament that God, when God thunders, his voice thunders, it could be judgments that he's thundering. But I think the contour of his plan is we don't know all of the details of his plan. There is a reality of God's plan coming to fruition that we just simply don't clearly understand. But what we do understand of God gives us ample reason to trust him, even what we don't understand. And that's the response of God's people. But then we have, here's a promise. When that seventh trumpet is sounded, there will be no more delay In the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as announced to his servants, the prophets. Let's dig into this a little bit. Because this is huge. A mystery being fulfilled. Things that we don't know. But there is a mystery that has been revealed that will be ultimately revealed when Jesus returns, when the end of the world happens. Now this angel swears to God. He puts up his right hand and he swears because... Swears because there's nobody greater to swear to. Now, this swearing is not cursing. It's, it's making an oath. You know, we make oaths in our attempts to make something firm and unyielding. I swear to God I didn't lie. We did that all the time on the playground. I swear to God. I swear to God. And we were lying, probably. We use that as a tactic to try to cover our lying. But God says... In an oath, there's nobody greater than God to swear to. And Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that God, in swearing, in making the oath of the, the covenant with his people, he, he swears to himself. That's what we see that picture with Abraham, that God has Abraham sleeping, but he's walk, he himself is walking through the separated animals as the covenant promised to say, I'm, I promise myself I'm going to bring this about. Now, the one with the ultimate sovereignty, he gets to do the oath-making. He gets to do the swearing. James chapter 5, uh, 12 tells us, hey, make sure you don't, hey, you know, in chapter 5 or end of chapter 4, you know, we say we go here and there, we make our plans, but we should be very humble about our plans and just say, you know, if the Lord wills. But Apostle James says, look, don't let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't speak in ways that you have to amp up what you're saying in order for somebody to believe you. Now, what the mystery being fulfilled, we don't have to amp things up to get people to understand. God is fulfilling his mystery. And the swearing is saying, I have completed my oath. And I, I want you to walk that out. But here, there will be a day when there will be no more delay in God's plan to bring his church home. Which means, I'll say it again, every day that he delays, it's because more more people need to be saved. 
in order to experience home in heaven with him. So it's the mercy of God that's being revealed in his delay. But he will bring his purpose to completion when that last trumpet sounds and Jesus comes. Now, in this, the mystery, what is this mystery that's being fulfilled? Now, we have the mystery in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul tells us there is a mystery that has been revealed But here in Revelation 10 at the seventh trumpet, there will be a mystery that will be fulfilled. And what's being fulfilled? What's been revealed? In Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So connect these two. Making known to us the mystery of his will. What is that? Uniting all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Mysteries being revealed. Jesus is looking to, to bring his bride to himself. Now, in the detail of that, Ephesians 3, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Why is that such a big deal? Well, if you're a Gentile, I am, non-Jew, that's a big deal. Because we have more than half of the Bible, which is the Old Testament, tells us there's a Messiah coming to and from the Jews, God's covenant people. And they have salvation in that covenant relationship with him. And God in his glory says, but that's not all. I want some more. So it's not just God's covenant people who are ethnically his covenant people. Hebrews, God says, I want more. Who are the more Gentiles? Everybody else. But think of the magnitude of this. Now, the Ephesian church had quabbles, and chapter 2 discusses this. They, they, the Jews in Ephesus loved the fact that there was a dividing wall in the temple, and they, I think they probably brought it into the church in too many ways. There was a three-foot wall that was in the temple in Jerusalem that was on the outside. And only Jews could go, ethnic Jews could go into, uh, closer into the, the temple with the altar of sacrifice and stuff, past that wall. All the Gentiles had to be in this outer court. And what Paul says is, Jesus has knocked down the dividing wall. There's no more division anymore. And I think he's saying that because they they were looking to interact with one another with division in mind. And he says, no, Jesus did away with that. His blood clears it all out and draws us together. But it also means this. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter your, your genealogy, your lineage. That doesn't promise anything. It doesn't matter your intelligent quotient on how how you are accepted before God. It just simply means God calls men and women to himself and he saves them. 
Now, we, we think that's not so much of a m- mystery. Well, when we're in Christ, we have understanding. So it's been revealed, and we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. We get to be saved. That's the mystery. But this mystery will be fulfilled. It will be completed. But how is it working out? Let's continue on in Ephesians 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So we have the mystery has been revealed. The mystery is salvation to everybody that calls on Jesus for salvation. What's the plan? Verse 9, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all age, for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God uses us to reveal the mystery. And he uses, remember, Ephesians had a unity problem. He uses the love and the unity within our lives as the church as as the plan to shine to a lost and dying world where they go for salvation to not trust in their own intellect to not trust in their own lineage to not trust in their own performance before God to not trust in themselves but to trust Christ for salvation that we come to God and say it's not anything that I bring to you It's what I receive from you by faith. I don't bring my good works. I don't bring my smarts. I don't bring my strength. I bring my faith. God, Jesus, you died in my place. Thank you. I receive that. And I repent of my sins and trust you. That's why, church, the church is still important. The church is still important. Even in the midst of, you know, I... I, I have I have a book called The Post-COVID Church that I've worked through. I've read articles about post-COVID church. And what the guys are coming from is, hey, you just have to be prepared that church is going to be different. Because people just don't live the same way. But can I, can I say this to you in all love? I don't settle for that. Because the persecution that the first century church endured and the secularism that they endured is worse than ours. And you know what? They still loved being the church and they loved meeting together. Did they struggle? Yep. Remember Hebrews chapter 13? Do not neglect meeting together as, the ha- as is the habit of some. No, the church is God's church. And what better way uh, uh, to add to the light of the glorious proclamation of the gospel through us to still say, yeah, I go to church. Of course I go to church. Yeah. And, hey, how about this? Here's the challenge. Work toward this. Let's, Let's be in church more than we watch church. 
Can we start there? Because listen, God's not changed his mode or his definition of the church. We're not allowed to either. We're not allowed to. Now, of course, you're sitting right in front of me preaching to the choir. Maybe I should be looking at the camera. I'm not sure. Because listen, I will say this. There are some of you that watch our live stream. I am so grateful you do. I am so grateful. But there are some that watch, and I don't know you. And if you consider me a pastoral influence in your life, and I don't know you, that's a disconnect. I rejoice. Pastoral ministry. This is how I know that. There are more views that we have on Sunday than people missing on Sunday. I'm so glad. So I know people found you. I'm so glad you found us. Now, if you're in a different location, I can understand that. But introduce yourself. If you're local, come meet your family. That's what I would say. So, won't talk to the sky anymore. Where am I? The mystery of God's ingathering from all peoples, Jew and Gentile, through faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins is glorious. He saves so we can become partakers in his divine nature. And God uses his church to proclaim his mystery. Very helpful thought from Nancy Guthrie in her book, Blessed, where she works through uh, the book of Revelation. She says this, Evidently, the warnings of the trumpets are not enough. Fear of judgment is not enough to make a spiritually dead person spiritually alive. But in his wise plan, God has ordained to use the gospel witness of ordinary people who have found satisfaction and security in Christ. They have faced disaster and evil, and death in this life, but instead of being destroyed by it, they have been sanctified by it. Instead of living as a slave to a king who is bent on tormenting them, they live as sons and daughters of a king who is committed to treasure and protect them, and they just can't keep from talking about it. Isn't that so ordinary? And it's so glorious, because we all fit in that category of ordinary question is, this is what challenged me, are we talking about it? Are we talking about it? And then in verses 8 through 11, we have a very, my grandson saw in the notes that I had eating the scroll, and he said, Pops, what does that mean? So, well, you're going to children's church, so I guess you can't know. <laughs> he was excited to go. He ran out. But here, let's, let's unpack this. Uh, Now we come back to the little scroll. Now, this little scroll could contain uh, upcoming revelation of judgment, but I I personally think that the little scroll is the gospel message. That's why it's a little scroll. It's it's something contained within the bigger uh, understanding and plan of God. I think this little scroll is the message of the good news of Christ and our life with him. Maybe, Maybe it represents the Bible that we have. John didn't know he was writing the last book of the Bible. And there were strict criteria in the first century for why we have the scriptures as we do. So it's trustworthy. This is God's word. But the scroll is something that John is to interact with and experience just like our life with Christ. He is told to take the scroll and he goes to this big, humongous, other, mighty angel and says... Can I have that scroll? That's bold. 
But there's a taking the scroll. I think this is, this is emblematic of our, our call to accept the gospel message. Accepting our responsibility to proclaim the gospel message. Just like when Jesus told his disciples to take the loaves and the fish and feed the multitudes. He said, take, you take it and feed them. You give it to them. There's a call, I think that's a tiny picture of our response as disciples, to take what Jesus has given us and be stewards of it. And then he's told to eat the scroll. Eating, we we know my passion for good food here in southern Louisiana. When we eat something, it's delightful. Like it's it's party in our mouth times. Like this combination, my taste buds are... They're worshiping right now. We know that. But when you eat something, it's an experience. So where the taking of the scroll is accepting the gospel mission, the eating of the scroll is experiencing the gospel mission, the gospel message. Because we see in our lives, it's twofold. There's a sweet component to our experience, and there's also a bitter component to our life with Christ. We experience the sweetness of grace and love, and God's presence. And it is sweet all the time. But there's also a bitterness, isn't there? There's a bitterness in suffering. There's a bitterness in seasons of darkness that we might experience. For the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ facing persecution, that's a bitterness. When we seek to share the gospel with those that we love most on this planet, there's a resistance to it. That's bitter, isn't it? And we just want to say, this makes so much sense. Why don't you understand it? Because there's a hardness of heart still. There's a, there's a resistance. So we have this sweet experience in our lives with Christ, but we also, it's coupled with the bitterness of living, as Nancy Guthrie said, we, we live in a world that's busted up, but rather being sunk by it or sanctified by it. This eating of the scroll we see in Ezekiel 3 and Jeremiah 15. Ezekiel is told to eat the scroll and it was honey in his mouth, but right after that, he was commissioned to go to a hard-hearted people. Bitterness. Jeremiah, I, your words were found and I ate them. Jeremiah wants to experience God's delight, and he does. But remember what Jeremiah's experience was? He was being tormented by his own people who didn't want to receive his message. So we have this combination of sweet and bitter at the same time. But as we live out that sweetness by faith, even amidst the bitterness that we're able to look at God and say, God, I trust you, even though this is miserable in my life right now. Ephesians 3 tells us the heavens are looking on, but the world, a lost, hurting, dark world, they're looking on our lives as well. They're looking on our lives and they want to see truth. Now, they think they want to see perfection. That's where we have to be real with it. Hey, I'm not perfect, but the love, I, the love and the relationship I have with God is not perfect. It's true. Distinction. We're to pursue. I don't want to sin anymore. Yes, I don't want to sin. But I find it's like right here, just right next to me. Every time I want to do something right, here it is. I'm failing. I'm doing something wrong. 
We can be real. But what we have in this mystery is the truth. We don't know all the truth. It's unknown. But what we do know, we know truly. That's why we have the truth. And here, this angel concludes with John in verse 11 about recommissioning him. And I was told, you must again prophesy. John is recommissioned as a prophet. Maybe he's commissioned. Maybe he hasn't made prophecies before. He's commissioned as a prophet for the purpose of completing this, uh, this book and giving it to us as the church. But being that he's isolated on an island for the rest of his life, we can surmise that this commission is not just for him, it's for the church. And this prophesying is, is uh, we, we have a foretelling component. It's, this is coming in the future. But more than that, prophecy in Scripture is forth-telling. This is what God is saying now. And that's usually what we want to pay attention to. And John is doing that. And it's the church's commission to tell forth the grace and love of Christ and salvation in Him and Him alone through faith in Him. Not by our works, but because of His mercy. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, because of his righteous work on the cross for us. We, we tell that forth. That's how we are commissioned. I was reminded of the hymn by William Cooper. I know it looks like Cowper, but the Brits pronounce that Cooper. He was a, a poet who lived in the 1700s. Um, a dear friend of Pastor John Newton, who also he pastored in the 1700s in England. Uh, and he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, that we all know. Former slave trade ship captain, who God miraculously saved and made him a pastor. Uh, William Cooper suffered from depression, debilitating depression. And John Newton took William in. He, they lived together uh, off and on for periods of time, some longer than others. And the way that John recognized, uh, John's wife Mary said when these two were together, they would giggle like little kids. That's the type of friendship that they had. But John Newton recognized that when William Cooper would write, his, he was, his spirits were lifted. So they together compiled what is now known as the only hymns, uh, over 300 hymns to bless the church with. This is one of them. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Amen. What encouragement, what comfort that we have from saints that have gone before us. In closing today, this, uh, my close actually has nothing to do, well, comfort. Maybe that's the connection point. 
Uh, I just, I have sensed all week long for us to just take time and pray for the sick among us. Uh, we want to anoint with oil as we're instructed from James. That's not because it's magical. That's because the, the, the symbolism of that oil reminds us. Remember, God gives us things to do to remind us with our eyes so our hearts can catch up. Um, we anoint with oil as a symbol of, of our standing in Christ in the new covenant by faith. But God says, when you're sick, let's pray. Let's pray for healing. And I, I've heard a bunch of different ailments that have been going on. Uh, but we, we want to gather together. So we're going to linger here for a little while. If you uh, need to go, you are blessed. You are released and you can be blessed with your day. Uh, but I'd like for the church just to gather around and pray. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's put our hearts before the Lord. God, we need you in ways that sometimes we have no idea how we need you. But when we're sick, we know we need you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would please uh, comfort us with healing, to remind us of the destination that you have for us in heaven that will be for us the day when there will be no more tears, there will be no more sickness, and we will have renewed bodies that work properly. But, God, in this life, in this present time, uh, we feel the pains and God, we trust that you're giving us those pains once, so we look to you more and better. But God, we ask today that you would grant healing to us as heaven spills over into our today as a testimony for gospel proclamation. So we can say and join the chorus of all of those who have been healed of sicknesses, no matter what it is, God healed me. Would you add more voices? Would you add louder voices to that song and that chorus today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you.